The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Live from our nation's capital. This budget thing is going to do nothing. Space Force, I still think it's interesting. President Trump not playing his cards yet. Headlines, policy, and politics colliding. Bloomberg, sound off. The insiders, the influencers, the insights. I would rather see a congressional solution. It's part of my DNA. The Senate map in 2020 looks a lot different than it looked in 2018. You really have a divide within Team Trump. The president has to do exactly what people sent him here to do, which is to get it done. This is Bloomberg, sound off. With Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. President Trump lifting sanctions against Turkey. What's the reaction on Capitol Hill? He says that temporary ceasefire is going to be made permanent. Meanwhile, you ready for this? Absolute cable news bedlam on Capitol Hill earlier today when uh, House Republicans walked into the secure facility where the Democrat controlled House Intelligence Committee was investigating into the impeachment inquiry. You can't make it up. It was it was an absolute mess. Uh, tons of cameras. We're going to dive into that. We've got two all-stars here. Terry Sullivan's back, partner at Firehouse Strategies, former Marco Rubio, 2016 presidential campaign manager, and Joel Payne, Democratic strategist, former director of African-American media outreach for Hillary Clinton's presidential campaign. We're also going to get the latest from Jonathan Shanzer. He is a senior vice president for research at the Foundation for Defense of Democracies. He also worked previously at the Treasury Department as a terror finance analyst. Nancy, a lot to get through because Mark Zuckerberg was also on Capitol Hill, where I spent most of my day. We begin this evening with the big developments on foreign policy. President Donald Trump said earlier today that he's going to be lifting the recently imposed sanctions against Turkey. Now, he added those sanctions October 16th, and he says that Turkey is now complying with a ceasefire agreement along with Kurdish forces in Syria. Now, the president also said, I'll correct myself, October 14th were when those sanctions went into place. The president also said that should should President Erdogan of Turkey break this permanent ceasefire, that he's fully prepared to have more sanctions that are added, and he also threatened tariffs on commodities such as steel. The president uh, was made this announcement from inside of the White House earlier today. He was backed by Vice President Mike Pence, as well as Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, who again had just traveled to the region the other week to negotiate the temporary ceasefire. Remember, folks, this was getting criticism not just not just from Democrats, but also from Republican Senator Lindsey Graham, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell. A lot of folks were unsure about how the president was negotiating with with Turkey, but also what he what message he was conveying to Kurdish allies in the region. Take a listen to uh, what President Trump said earlier today at the White House about this. Here it is. Today's announcement validates our course of action with Turkey that only a couple of weeks ago was scorned. And now people are saying, wow, what a great outcome. Congratulations. It's too early to me. 
to be congratulated. But we've done a good job. We've saved a lot of lives. Uh, joining us on the telephone line now is Jonathan Shanzer. He is a senior vice president for research at the Foundation for Defense of Democracies. He is also uh, a frequent uh, individual who testifies before Capitol Hill on these foreign relations issues. He previously worked at the Treasury Department as a terror finance analyst. Jonathan, it's great to have you on the program. All right. Reaction. Should folks be concerned or congratulatory regarding the president's actions today with Syria? I, I think pe people should be concerned. I think that uh, the president's right that it's very early to congratulate him. But it, basically, I think what the president has left out is that uh, the president of Turkey, Recep Tayyip Erdogan, was in Sochi yesterday speaking with the president of Russia. They sat in a meeting for seven hours. And the result of that was a decision on their part to jointly operate in northern Syria together to cleanse the area of the YPG. And the YPG, of course, is this Kurdish group that lost 11,000 lives on behalf of the United States fighting against ISIS. So what, what's basically happened over the last 24 hours is an agreement between Russia and Turkey to engage in ethnic cleansing along a long strip of that border between Turkey and Syria. And the U.S. has been left out of the decision-making altogether. Well, this is what I don't understand, because in addition to those developments, Turkey has also suggested in the last five or seven days or so that they potentially have nuclear ambitions. Make sense of that for me. Yeah, I mean, this is something actually that, that happened uh, over the course of the U.N. General Assembly. Uh, the president of Turkey came out and said this. Uh, of course, this is all happening at a time where, you know, we're imposing sanctions on Iran uh, for its nuclear ambitions, and this would be a very unwelcome development. I should also note that, that, that this is by far not the only thing that Turkey has done or said that has made us very uncomfortable. Uh, they helped Iran evade sanctions between 2012 and 2015, helping Iran net something in the vicinity of $20 billion in cash and gold. And one of the bankers that was just, uh, he actually was arrested here in the United States. He was sentenced. He served a jail time for about a year. He returned back to Turkey, and um, they just uh, named him as the head of the Istanbul Stock Exchange, basically as a finger in the eye to the United States. Wow. All right. Well, li listen, so President Trump, when he was speaking today earlier at the White House regarding lifting the sanctions that he had just recently imposed against Turkish President Erdogan and, and Turkey, said, made the case that, that many Americans are, are deeply skeptical. And this isn't just a Republican or a Democrat feeling, but you know this. I mean, there are folks who are skeptical of, 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 of U.S. engaging in long-term foreign policy conflicts with no end in sight. He, you know, there was, there was a slight political undertone with that argument that he made. But you look at polling, which would suggest that there's also this angst and uncertainty of a go-it-alone type of strategy, especially as it relates to international coalitions. Jonathan, I want to play for you what Senator Lindsey Graham, the Republican from South Carolina, had to say early, or earlier today following the developments at the White House, because I think he's tapping into that skepticism that many Americans feel when they hear these, these brash of, of, of headlines that come very, very quickly from this White House. Here's Senator Lindsey Graham. And it's possible to end it well, but you cannot rely on Syria, Russia, or Turkey to protect the United States against ISIS. That's a different argument, Jonathan, than I think, than obviously that President Trump made, but also than I think 
other Republicans who disagree with the president on this issue have made before. He's saying by doing this, you're elevating Russia. I think that's right. Uh, and and by, by no means should we accept Turkey as uh, a protector of the United States. It's very unclear why the president would want to do this. In fact, uh, Turkey actually led in, in part to the rise of ISIS by keeping their border open, by allowing fighters to stream across the border. Uh, and we actually just heard recently at my organization, Brett McGurk, the former envoy for combating uh, ISIS, basically said this, and I think it was the first public acknowledgement of that by a former U.S. official. So uh, I think that Lindsey Graham is correct, but I think there's also one other thing to point out here, and that is that we were keeping a lid on what was happening in Syria with a very, very small force, that with a few hundred fighters, and we've not seen a lot of casualties, we haven't seen a lot of clashes, we were keeping some of these other forces at bay. And it was really unclear to, I think, all of us when the president made his very hasty announcement that we were going to be standing down and allowing the Turks to stream through. There was no reason to do it. There was no immediate emergency that would suggest that we needed to get out of the way or we were going to suffer certain consequences. All right, Jonathan Shanzer, I, I really want to thank you for, for coming on our program. Please come and join us in the Bloomberg studio when you get a chance. Uh, and, and that's Jonathan Shanzer, everybody. He is uh, the senior vice president for research at the Foundation for Defense Democracies. He also previously has worked at the Treasury Department. He's traveled all throughout the Middle East, Iraq, Yemen, Egypt, Morocco, Kuwait, Qatar, Turkey, Jordan, Israel. I mean, he really has been everywhere, and he is a, a sought-after voice on these issues. So thank you, Jonathan, for making the time for us. Coming up, we pivot back to politics and get this. Republicans, literally, they literally just walked in, walked into the uh to the secure facility building for Schiff was having a hearing. I, I We're going to get the panel to react because I'm speechless. Download the Bloomberg Sound on podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find us on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2 Baltimore. I'm Kevin Cirilli. Welcome back, folks. We're joined by Terry Sullivan, partner of Firehouse Strategies, Republican strategist, and the Joel Payne, Democratic strategist. Did you guys watch the game last night? I did. Oh, your mics are off, and Christine told me to turn them on, too. Uh, <laughs> did you watch the game last night? Absolutely. What yeah. you think? Uh, we won. That's what I think. Okay. I think it was amazing. We say we... So you are an actual Nats fan. Because this was a topic of conversation earlier today on Capitol Hill. I'm not from here, and I want to be clear. I'm a thorough, love Philadelphia, will always root for Philadelphia. And I want to be clear here. I am jumping on the bandwagon. Right. But I'm acknowledging that I have jumped on the bandwagon. Well, the difference between you and, say, Bryce Harper is, like, oh, you wow. probably get to go to the World Series. <laughs> I'm treating the Nationals the way that never-Trumpers treat Trump, which is I'm allowing it to exist out there, and I'm not going to do anything actively to stop them. Oh, because you literally said I'm a Mets that fan. if you were a billionaire, you would buy the Mets. That's right. All right. I'm not going to ask Terry Sullivan what he would do if he were a billionaire, because I'm not sure we can talk about it on the air. Um <laughs> Anyway, did you guys hear about what happened on Capitol Hill today with the Republicans storming? I mean, I don't want to say storming because, you know, it's a little dramatic. They walked into the shift. If, for those of you who don't know, it's that secure House Intelligence Committee hearing room that is very secure. Obviously, it's not that secure because they walked in a bunch of Republicans to just urge that there be transparency uh, in this issue. And, Joel, I'm sure you have a lot to say about this. 
Oh, it was ridiculous. It was a stunt. They wanted to distract from the fact that there was another devastating witness that they were that was going to testify today that was going to corroborate all the things that the whistleblower said in the whistleblower's report after they got taken to the woodshed by, by uh, Ambassador Taylor yesterday. So <laughs> it was a pretty cheap uh, stunt. Um, I suppose it got a couple of headlines, but... Nothing at the core or foundation of this Wait. of this topic. Nothing at the foundation yeah. of this topic That's, has changed. I couldn't. I, I couldn't agree more. I'm shocked that it, there'd be some sort of political stunt in an Adam Schiff hearing. Like, how, how could that be? It almost like imagine if someone just made up a fabricated story and started talking about it at the top of the the hearing oh wait no that is actually adam schiff who does that in adam schiff hearings look it, it's all this one big carnival right now and it's kind of sad to watch i mean both it's not sides even, i watch a lot of reality television and today was not even a stunt that would have made an episode of it was so bad it was so orchestrated and it was so it was not i don't know i but i actually think t- terry i think this could help republicans i think that they're turning impeachment inquiry i into don't a joke. i think that's uh, no. ah, i don't base. think yeah. it can help I, republicans. I think republicans wait let me finish this thought for some republicans who are on the fence and you have concerns right. about the impeachment inquiry turning the impeachment into a joke which was clearly the goal of today's political stunt this might help it yeah look i think that the uh that the, the facts are the worst part of this for donald trump that the actual facts, if this was a, was a hearing just based on the facts and the, and the public got to understand the facts, it would be pretty bad for him. But it's turned into such a carnival on both sides that, that it's no longer about the facts. It's just a, another political fight in Washington. I think people just turn, turn my it good, off. My good friend Terry, no. It has not turned into a carnival on both sides. Not, o- not, only, not only do I disagree with that, but it also ignores the fact that in the Senate, there's actually bipartisan work being done in the by Richard Burr and by Mark right. Warner and by a lot of Democrats and Republicans who know the real deal. <laughs> so if you want to go and merge everything are there, together, are there say any because, hearings there? Because actually there are. Wait, right. wait. There are actually, but are there any impeachment inquiry hearings that, that are being hidden off the record? That Like, this is, I completely agree with you about the Senate. I think it's doing a good job. It's doing a, a very thoughtful job looking at a very serious issue. I, look, I'm willing to say that the Republicans in the House are, are, are making this a joke, but so are the Democrats. CNN.com headline, impeachment probe deposition underway following Republican storming hearing room. Foxnews.com headline, House Dems restart impeachment inquiry hearing after GOP stormed secure area. MSNBC.com House GOP members storm secure room, delay impeachment testimony by Pentagon official. I mean, this was clearly made for cable in order to create the uh, at least the perception of chaos. Matt, Matt Getz, for the record, there was no storming. Matt Getz <laughs> is the general I like to go against in any battle. Right, let's hear some of the – here we go. Let's roll some of the tape because we had Congressman Tom Malinowski – Congressman from Demo- Democrat from New Jersey. Here's what he said. After two dozen House Republicans broke congressional rules to store. I, I don't even want to use the word. So after they walked into the secure hearing room, here he is. I actually don't know if. We- oh. oh, we don't we don't have that right now. Do we have Mo Brooks? Charlie, we have Mo Brooks. All right. It looks like we're, we're having some technical difficulties. Either way, I mean, the, the, the back and forth of, oh, you can't have phones. There was questions about whether or not they could have their cell phones in there. These well, but it's a skiff. This is to talk about secure information. So this is, you know, there is, uh, and so at the end of the day, this is a secured room that to talk about top secret information. The, the question is, is it being misused? And I think that's the real heart of this. Is it being misused? Is this actually 
not secure information that they're that they're using to hide this. So the party that spent five years prosecuting a nonsense case against Hillary Clinton about mishandling secure information just allowed 40 people who weren't cleared to hear information today in a skiff. That's that's actually what happened today. Actual question that I have a lot of questions about this. Number one, if it is a secure facility, why weren't there people outside of the room stopping lawmakers from going in or anyone, not just lawmakers, like anyone from going in? That's one question I have. Another question I have is what? Like, what does this mean for how secure the actual secure building is, Terry? Yeah, well, I, I think that's that's. Yeah, I mean, you, you've been to Congress before, right? I mean, you know, those those congressmen. I've been in Congress. I've never <laughs> been in Congress, and I don't think I'll ever be in Congress. No, no, no. I mean, you've 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 been to the building. Yes, you've I been was to there the, 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 the yeah, Capitol yes. today. Yeah. Yes, but so, suck. Right. We'll right. talk about that coming up. Go ahead. But, but I mean, look. At at the end of the day, um, this had, was was a stunt, definitely by the, by the Democrat. I mean, by the Republicans, as a way to exploit. The stunt being pulled off by the Democrats. It shouldn't be in a secure room in the first place. All right, we've got Tom Malinowski, the Democrat from New Jersey, talking and responding to the to this. Here it is. Listen to Tom. It's a bunch of Freedom Caucus members having pizza around a conference table, pretending to be brave. All they basically did here was to storm a castle that they already occupy, because <laughs> the Republicans are in the room asking questions, interrogating witnesses. All right, here's Mo Brooks, the Republican from Alabama, responding to that Democratic uh, criticism. Here he is. By golly, if they're going to do it, do it in public. Don't hide it from the American people. Show your face where we can all see the travesty that you are trying to foist on America. Joel, why not just have the hearings in public? Call it a day, have them in public. You can Listen, you can have the hearings 10 blocks up from here in Columbia Heights. I, I don't care. Nothing has fundamentally changed about this case. Donald Trump used the power of his office to leverage a, a, an ally to help him against a political adversary. That has not changed. Nothing has changed from that. So right. we can sit but, here so and so go round don't... and round. We can go round and round all we want to. But the point of this is to distract from that fact. Well, but we're not going round and round. What we're saying is I agree with you. I agree with you. And what's, what I started with is the facts of this are the worst enemy of, of, of President Trump. So why don't the Democrats have these hearings in public? Why are they Th- why That are they makes hidden? no sense to me. Just have them in public. Look, Terry, I have a question for you. Because if you worked for Senator Rubio and, and, and some more, I'm not, I mean, I don't want to, I'm sure Rubio's office would get annoyed if I said that he was a moderate. But there are some <laughs> other more moderate members uh, who are up for re-election in the Senate who are in tough races right now. What are you hearing from, from the folks that you talk to in terms of whether or not they're going to be for or against this? Or well, vote to impeach him or not in the Senate in particular. You know, I, I do think that to convict him. I'll correct. I, I understand remove, how it yeah, works. Vote, yeah, vote. Yeah. Look, I, I think in the Senate they are looking at this in a very serious way, and, and they understand. And I mean, look, even McConnell, uh, Senator McConnell has come forward and said, look, he's going to he's going to follow the letter of the law and the rules as to how this works in the Constitution to to have a hearing. I think the Senate is looking at this in a very serious way, uh, in, in many ways, on both sides of the aisle, and it's how it should be done. I've been on both sides of this, okay, as somebody with the strong hand and the weak hand. Usually you can tell who has the weak hand by who's arguing process. So if you're sitting there spending a week arguing process and distracting from a day-long hearing from someone who is going to execute a really negative case against you, you're probably losing. So Republicans don't have the upper hand here, and they've resorted to arguing process. And that's okay, but I think it's important for people to understand that outside these four walls. 
All right, coming up, we're going to talk to Mark Zuckerberg, who returned to Congress today to the House Financial Services Committee, and he got into a back and forth with Maxine Waters. Congressman Fred Schill, Republican from Arkansas, is on that committee. He's going to check in with us. Download the Bloomberg Sound on podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find us on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. I'm Kevin Cirilli. I'm on the Nats bandwagon, and I'm admitting it. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2 Baltimore. I'm Kevin Cirilli, joined by Terry Sullivan. He is a Republican strategist and the Joel Payne, a Democratic strategist. Did you see these new polls that came out, gentlemen, with Joe Biden? Joe Biden really, you know, expanding his lead, a CNN poll, Biden leading over all of the other candidates. He's got a double-digit lead. Buttigieg closes in on Biden and Warren in a new Iowa poll. That was from a couple of days ago. But Joe Biden really looking strong. It's hit its widest margin since April, Joel. I think we're hitting a point in a race where these national polls, and I'm, I'm never really a fan. I think they kind of tell broadly a story, but I, I think that they can be a little bit out of focus. Um, I think we're entering a point now where the state polls kind of start to take primacy over importance, over what you actually follow in terms of what the trend lines are. Um, I also think that Biden's numbers have pretty much, you know, as Terry and I were talking about during the break, have pretty much kind of stayed unchanged. The people to 34%. look at are Warren and, and her kind of continued upward mobility and Buttigieg, who's the real mover in the field right now. Those are the things to pay attention to. The fact that Joe Biden still has a strong national lead, that's a that's a name ID thing to me still. Well, I think it's gone beyond that. I mean, look, he, he's... If it was just a name ID issue, he would have started to tank after uh, after a lot of this bad press. I mean, he's taken some even before all of this dust up back and forth uh, with with uh, Trump and in the Ukraine stuff. I mean, his numbers are pretty resilient. Um, the question is, is his ceiling low? I mean, his, his floor is, seems to be pretty pretty high because he hasn't dropped, um, but he also hasn't climbed. Uh, now, as, as these, we'll find that out as, as these other candidates start to drop out. Warren has gone way up, and she's come back down. She's had she moved around. Uh, Pete uh, has Buttigieg has 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 really done well and positioned himself, but but Biden just stayed consistent. Biden thirty four percent, Warren nineteen percent, Sanders sixteen. Buttigieg, six. That's according to the new CNN uh, national poll. And, you know, I mean, there was another poll that just came out in Wisconsin. Biden leads Trump in Wisconsin. I mean, look, he had poor fundraising numbers. But if you're Joe Biden and you just took a pummeling in the news cycle for the past at least week, 
you know, still good uh, nationally. Uh, six, six weeks. I mean, if you go back to when the president started, you know, making stuff up about him and uh, putting all the Ukraine stuff into the media cycle, which has clearly had an impact on fundraising, it's had an impact on energy, and it's had an impact on the other candidates feeling more bullish about their chances. So I think you're right, though, Kevin, what, what you're pointing to there, which is the Biden team welcomes that because that's going to help with donor, you know, donors being more confident in Biden's durability through the race. That's going to raise more money. That's going to sustain his campaign. He needs that type of a boost right now. Well, and it's, it's, it's actually been a, a real missed opportunity, I believe, by the Biden campaign. I, I think they've, they've done fine. It hasn't hurt him. Uh, but he could have really squared off against uh, the president on this issue and really taken the fight to him and been much more aggressive. And he hasn't. They've played defense. And instead of going after Trump on this exact same issue, you know, they're rolling out Hunter Biden to do a mea culpa that looks like he, he's, he's in a kidnapping video. And so, you know, I think it's a missed opportunity that they could have sucked all the oxygen out of the room from these other candidates and just taken the fight to Donald Trump and go toe-to-toe, and they didn't. What about what about Pete Buttigieg? How has he been doing? I mean, like, he's got a ton of money. Can he make inroads in South Carolina? He's, he's sort of been in the mix, I would argue, since the last debate, really. People have been talking about him differently. And just anecdotally here in the Beltway, for what it... For what it uh, for what we oh actually we're gonna hold this thought because actually joining us on the telephone line right now is the congressman Fred Schill, Republican from Arkansas. He's a member of the House Financial Services Committee and he's just called in and I know you've got not a lot of time so I, I want to get right to to this congressman. We were talking in the halls of uh, Rayburn earlier today cover as I was covering Zuckerberg Mark Zuckerberg's hearing on Capitol Hill about Facebook's Libra the digital the digital the digital currency. Congressman, are you there? Yes, I am. Oh, cool. So what did you make of, uh, of Mark Zuckerberg's testimony? Can they move ahead? Can Facebook move ahead with this, or is there still not an appetite in Congress? Well, first, Kevin, thanks for having me. Mark Zuckerberg came to the committee. He was uh, more humble than he was 18 months ago, better prepared for the discussion. And I think the big takeaway was he announced they will not move forward with Libra, in any country of the world, the U.S. included, until U.S. regulatory officials have blessed the concept. So, Congressman, we were talking about that, but we were also talking about this this new – there's two div- threads, I think, that, that Mark Zuckerberg, during his testimony, tried to develop. And let's start with the first one, which is that, that he's making the case that digital currencies would be able to help underserved communities in rural and more urban America – do you buy that argument? And if so, how specifically would this technology aid those underserved communities? Well, he has a vision, and his vision is it should be as easy to send money to a friend in Mexico as it is to send a text. And his vision is that the digital token could do that in a way that's much cheaper than the existing system that involves uh, wire transfer free fees and foreign exchange, estimated to be about 7% of a of a remittance to another country. So he's got a good vision. The question is, how does he create that payment rail that complies with uh, bank secrecy laws and uh, and create it 
in today's regulatory environment. That's the big challenge. Congressman, you touched on something that I think sometimes we in the media as well, candidly, in the halls of Congress, we lose sight of, which is that when we think of financial services and technology, we always think of Wall Street. We always think of the big businesses, the big banks. We don't think, and when we, when, especially when we think of international finance, we don't think of small folks, small businesses, but also not even businesses, individuals who, as you mentioned, remittances, for example, where in the agricultural community or in other sectors, folks are sending money literally over borders uh, to family members. Could you just help um, make that illustration? for? Because I don't think there's necessarily an understanding for how these services are actually utilized outside of the bigger business world. Well, I believe sincerely that in the future, blockchain and uh, a digital token will make uh, it much easier and much cheaper for global commerce, particularly in commodities. You talked about agriculture. When you think about the risk you take in foreign exchange conversions, uh, the cost of small dollars, uh, we talked about remittances, it's estimated that 7% of a transaction uh, value, so $7.00 for a hundred to transfer a remittance to Mexico from the U.S., including that foreign exchange cost. So this idea has great value, but we have to do it in a way that I think uh, maintains our um, the importance of our uh, uh, AML and bank secrecy laws, which is why Bill Foster, a member of Congress from Illinois, and I wrote a letter to Jay Powell asking him, what has the Fed done about proposing a digital dollar token for exactly this purpose, small remittances? All right. And final question for you, because I know you've got to run. And thank you again for, for calling in Congressman Frenchell, Republican from Arkansas. The other big threat here was that Zuckerberg said essentially, hey, wait a minute. This isn't about the technology getting here. It's already here. Look at China. China's already had this technology. They've already implemented this type of technology as a consumer product. Is the U.S. at is the U.S. at risk for uh, losing to China and other global competitors if they don't embrace this type of technology? I do think uh, having a digital approach for tokenization is critical to uh, the financial future of our country, and we want the dollar uh, to be an innovative, useful currency, and we want America to still be listed as the innovative leader in this new digital future. And that's why we've got to tackle this, and that's why uh, Zuckerberg was on Capitol Hill today. All right. Thank you to Congressman Frenchell, Republican from Arkansas. Coming up, panel reacts. Plus, we get back into the 2020 re-election campaign for President Trump and, of course, that contested Democratic primary. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli. On Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. I'm Kevin Cirilli. Welcome back, folks. Joel Payne's here, Democratic strategist. And Terry Sullivan, Republican strategist. You hiked Mount Everest. Terry, oh, mics are off again. <laughs> no, Denali. Denali. Oh, it's only the tallest one in North America. That's not amazing. The yeah. So what was that like? Cold. Cold. And high. <laughs> I recently hiked Rock Creek Park. Really? You probably had to move a lot faster there if it was after dark than I, I had to. Yes. Terry, you managed Marco Rubio's campaign. What did Marco Rubio tell you after you hiked Denali? 
You know what? I, I, actually, we haven't talked since I've gotten back from Denali. Wow, there is yeah. a revelation there. Right. I know. Also, what um what was harder, managing Marco Rubio's campaign or hiking Denali? And managing Marco Rubio's campaign, hands down. <laughs> Hands down. Wow. No one ever does a president manages a presidential campaign, win or lose, twice. Actually, Robbie Mook and I were just talking about this. Nobody, like, if you look at the history of like campaign managers winning or losing uh, at a, on at least a serious level campaign, it's not done a second time because it's a crappy job. What about Hillary Clinton? Will she get into the race and hire anyone? That- well, since clearly she doesn't want to go away. I mean, look, take a pay like. Motley Crue said it best. Don't go away mad. Just go away. What's, I mean, Mo- just- what's a Motley Crue? <laughs> just kidding. I'm so sorry. I can't. Sometimes I just got to focus. All right. What's on your radar? This is one of my favorite things. Uh, two esteemed insiders of Washington, D.C. are going to tell us what's on their political radar. Uh, Joel, you're first. What's, what's on your radar? There's a lot of things on my radar. Um, I would say <laughs> <laughs> no. There really, there really is actually a lot of stuff to talk about. I would just say, you know, I'm I'm really still interested in like the 2020 stuff, and particularly, oh, good, I'm good. I'm actually no, no 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 I'm 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 most interested in kind of some of those middle tier folks like the Klobuchar's um, and whatnot. Like she actually raised a pretty good chunk of money, um, almost two million dollars, I think, since the debate. And whether or not that's actually going to translate into real momentum. Um, in the latest Iowa poll, it said that almost 70 percent of caucus goers um, are still undecided. That that would suggest to me that there's still a lot of mobility in that race. So I, I'm, I'm keeping an eye on, a, on an ever static Democratic race. All right. All right. Terry, what's on your radar? The economy. Look, we can look at all this, the impeachment you know, circus, the, I mean, you could look at just all the crazy stuff coming on uh, on cable news on an hourly basis. But what really matters, what's really going to drive uh, voters at the end of the day, what's frankly Donald Trump's safety net has, gives him a good chance to get reelected, is if the economy's strong. And when you look at things like trade and things like that, that's going to matter a heck of a lot more than, than Hunter Biden's mea culpa on, on uh, Good Morning America. That's, that's. Very interesting. And so how do you think, Joel, to, to that point, just quickly, how the economy is going to factor into, into the, the Democratic discussion? Well, I'm actually le- – I mean, not to go away from your question, but I'm more interested in – you know, and Terry alluded to this before – Trump's handling of Syria, and he's really fallen all over himself over the commander-in-chief test. And, you know, you talked about Biden having an opportunity to push back on the whole Hunter Biden issue. I think he had an opportunity to push back in that last debate around the idea of being, I'm the most qualified to be commander-in-chief. And I don't know if any of those candidates really seized on that opportunity the way that they should have. So – you know, less less the economy and more that commander in chief test. I'm I'm keeping an eye on. No, because the Democrats were in a fight to see who could be the biggest communist uh, on the stage. I mean, like it was like you know, oh, we're going to give away more money here and it's greater socialism here. I mean, look, Barack Obama could not get nominated in the current Democrat primary. Joe Biden's having to apologize for his ultra conservative Obamacare policies. All right, you want to know what's on my radar? Yes, yes, yes I do. Thank you, I appreciate that. I'd love Thank to you. know. Thank you, uh, NASA. NASA's on my radar today. Red Planet. This is the headline uh, from, from NASA. Space Agency Chief Jim Bridenstine says he's made the bold claim that humans could go on a mission to, to the moon uh, by 2030s and he, that we, they could land humans on Mars by 2035. Wow. That's really bold. We, we actually went to the moon 
50 years ago. Well, they could return to Oh, the okay, oh, okay. All right. Don't, this isn't that type of show. In another decade. What about New Jersey? <laughs> Can they get people up to New Jersey? But no, but wait a minute. <laughs> Can we NASA, send people NASA from NASA New Jersey to the moon? To Listen, if they're looking for reporters to go to Mars, I know a guy named Kev who would gladly <laughs> I think Christine would be all. I think Christine would be all yeah, for you our, sending our you to Mars. Yeah, I think a lot of people would be all for <laughs> sending me on a rocket to Mars. Do you think that NASA still has the same cloud? I mean, seriously, though. Do you think that NASA and, and the space race and this in this day and age, U.S. and China, U.S. and Russia, it's I private. Think it'd be good Look, to be the space unified. race is now private corporations. I agree. No, I agree. That's where the innovation is. It's not some government agency that's trying to. That their claim to fame is that in a decade we can do something we did 50 years ago. Look, you know, you're going to look at Blue Origin and you're going to look at uh, at Elon Musk's uh, group and Virgin Atlantic. These are the, this is the innovation in space is going to happen. And it has to be equal. There's yes. the, it shouldn't space travel should not just be for the wealthy. It should be for everyone. And in addition to that, I think that you know as we look to to other planets, there could be other resources, other commodities on there, uh, and it should be equal. So anyway, NASA is saying that they could go to Mars by 2035, which is in our lifetime, which I think is worthy of being on the radar. Thank you, Terry. Maybe you can climb a mountain on, on Mars. Thank you, Joel. Appreciate you coming on. I'm Kevin Cerilli. Download the Bloomberg Sound on podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find us on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. Let's go Nets. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.